Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, where... I am back at it, writing and performing stand-up comedy. If you're in New York City this weekend, come see me Friday and Saturday night at West Side Comedy Club. It's on the corner of Amsterdam Avenue and 75th Street. And I'll be performing there with some of the best comedians in the world this weekend. And you can get tickets right now at www.westsidecomedyclub.com. People make fun of me for saying that www, but I'm old, guys. You're lucky you don't have to hear me say http colon slash slash. Well, I guess I I just did. All right, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. First of all, I want to thank you guys, those of you who have reached out about sponsorship. I was hoping to make an announcement about new sponsors for our podcast today, but I think we're going to have to wait one more week to get that all figured out and worked out. But yeah, needless to say, I am absolutely moved, touched, and blessed by the outpouring of support for this podcast and how many of you have businesses that are interested in sponsoring the podcast. So that's pretty cool. You know, we can all do this thing together and it makes me happy. It makes me feel really good. Another thing that makes me feel really good is when you guys tweet me at Clayton Comic. People have been sending me hands uh, and I haven't really been doing too many Twitter hands here on the podcast, but I think today we're going to do a kind of a mailbag episode. So the first listener hand that I want to go over was submitted by a Twitter user named Andrew at AW3000. This is from a $215 online event that Andrew played on America's Card Room on the Winning Poker Network. The tournament has a $60,000 guarantee and at least when I was playing in that tournament on a regular basis not that long ago, they seldom hit that guarantee. So it often had an overlay. I'm not sure whether or not this particular iteration of the $215 nightly 60k on ACR happened to hit the guarantee or not but let's just assume that first prize is in the neighborhood of $8,000 or so Uh, our hero here Andrew has a top 20 stack about 10 spots away from the bubble now he only submitted the uh, big blinds and not the actual chip counts and stuff so I'm going to fill in a few blanks here and, and try to make the math easy. The, the stack sizes are accurate. And pot sizes are only accurate to the extent that the correct number of big blinds are in play. But I'm just going to plug in numbers because I know some of you prefer to hear a, an actual amount as opposed to a number of big blinds. So we can do both. And I always try to do both for you guys because we all kind of see poker through our own lenses. So here we go. We've got a top 20 stack. 
10 from the bubble. So we're really starting to feel that that bubble. It's a $215 buy-in. And our hero, who has 55,000 in his stack, so he's quite healthy with 55 big blinds. And in my experience playing in this tournament, that would constitute a very healthy stack, indeed approaching the bubble of this tournament. So he's got the Ace of Hearts, Ten of Hearts, under the gun. So I don't get a ton of information from Andrew about the table or who else is here, whether he's at a really good table or a tough table. I know that all the solvers have us pretty much always opening with the Ace-10 suiteds of the world. But I'm going to tell you guys, and I've said this before on the podcast and certainly gotten some pushback from many of you on Twitter about it, but I don't really mind if you want to just go ahead and fold this hand. I know we already have a chip lead and it might be bubble abuse time, but honestly, I feel like hands like Ace-Jack, Ace 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 Ace-10, Ace-7 suited, like these hands under the gun are very difficult to play versus tough opponents. So again, we don't know what kind of table Andrew has here, but I th- I think it's it's okay to fold this hand under the gun. Now on the other hand, if he's got the biggest stack at his table and everybody else has like 15 or 20 big blinds and he wants to start raising pretty much any two cards under the gun until the bubble bursts, that's also fine. So without that kind of information, I just want to show you guys the two extremes. This could either be an automatic raise or an automatic fold or somewhere in between. So we don't really have a lot of information to go on, but I think it's a pretty marginal open from under the gun. And Andrew decides to min raise. So the blinds here are 500 and 1,000 with a 125 ante per player on ACR. And our hero under the gun with ace, ten of hearts, min raises to 2,000. Now, the action folds all the way around to the big blind on our immediate right, who calls with 40,000 behind. So we're going to be heads up, in position, hero holding the ace of hearts, ten of hearts. And with 5,500 in the middle, the flop comes king of hearts, eight of clubs, seven of hearts so king eight seven with two hearts so we have flopped the nut flush draw and the big blind checks hero decides to put in a c bet here i think that's pretty uncontroversial although i do remember reading in an excellent book by ed miller and david sklansky called no limit hold'em theory and practice that it is often correct to check behind with the nut flush draw but it's better to bet with a lesser flush draw or a flush draw on a paired board but often drawing to the nuts incentivizes more passive play in no limit hold'em now that's not a tournament book and i'm not really sure that i would apply that strategy to tournaments generally speaking But we are pretty deep stacked here, and it is kind of a disaster to get check raised and just have to put a whole bunch of chips in when we could just check, make the nuts, and then bet our hand. And I have done some solver work with P.O. where I have seen many times the solver does prefer checking with a draw to the nuts, but betting with a lesser draw. So that's kind of a general 
very general rule of thumb that I'm not even sure counts as a rule of thumb. Maybe it's more like a rule of pinky toe, but it's something I've read that I wanted to pass along to you guys, and I have confirmed it using the solvers. And you guys can play with your own solvers, too, and see how much more often P.O. wants to bet with a draw that is not to the nuts than it does in the same exact situation with a draw that is to the nuts and draw your own conclusions from that. Anyway, Hero decides to C-bet here and he puts in 2,500 and Villain, who again starts the hand with 40,000, check raises to 10,000. So what the heck are we supposed to do in this situation? We're sitting here with the nut flush draw and an overcard. We couldn't wait to C-bet on this beautiful flop and now we just got check raised. And remember, we're 10 away from the money. Well, in the absence of any information about the villain here, I think it's pretty hard to figure out what to do. There are players that would check raise really wide on a flop of king eight seven. Like if they had 10-9, uh, they could have a worse flush draw, which would be ideal for us if we're going to put in a whole lot of chips here. Uh, they might do that with just any king. They, some players would even do it with a hand like ace-8, and they're just trying to take it down. So basically, my decision would depend largely on my opponent's proclivities. Uh, how aggressive is he generally? Is he the type to check-raise with any piece of the board, with any type of draw? Some players would check-raise with a, a gut shot, hand like jack-10. They might go ahead and check-raise it. So against a player like that, I would love to get all in and watch him fold and I can scoop this 10k that he just put in on the flop with very little resistance. On the other hand, some players are so ICM conscious and so aware of the fact that we're 10 away from the money that that check raise is always going to be at least two pair. And against players like that, I think I might just have to call this and try to make my flush. Uh, so I don't know what kind of opponent we have here and Andrew did not provide that information in the absence of a read i think there's nothing wrong with just shoving here uh, you will get some ridiculous folds some players would even fold a hand as strong as eight seven for fear of going broke on the bubble and just automatically put us on pocket kings if we bet and then shove over the check raise so if you're up against an opponent like that then you're just printing money by playing extremely aggressively on the bubble no matter what you have and especially when even if you do happen to get called you're going to have for sure nine outs and all the way up to possibly 12 outs in this situation so with that said i think i would just go all in if i didn't have any information about my opponent hero agrees with me and moves all in and ends up getting called by eight seven one of the hands I was thinking about actually was 8-7 on king 8-7 with two hearts. And so now we need to make a hand. How about running aces? That's a really spicy way to win this pot. Uh, unfortunately, it runs out badly for our hero here, which is probably why he sent the hand in. Usually the hands that I receive from you listeners are hands that you guys lost and you want me to tell you whether you played it badly or just got unlucky. I've noticed a distinct pattern that probably a good 80 to 85% of the hands that you guys submit are hands where the hero ends up losing the pot. And this one is no exception. Even worse for poor Andrew. He went from being a top 20 stack with 
10 players left to the money to actually busting before the bubble burst. And believe me, Andrew, you're not the only one. I have done that more times in my career than I can count because of the aforementioned bubble abuse that is such a big part of my overall strategy. Now, I understand this hurts the first 100 to 200 times that it happens to a man, but believe me, you do get used to it and life goes on. Just remember, if you have a solid foundation in logic for a particular strategy, just play that strategy and do not sweat the results. Okay, let's check out another hand from the Twitter sphere. This one comes from a user named David Warsham at Umfwarsh on Twitter. He is playing in a $560 live poker tournament somewhere on Earth. Parts unknown. He does not say exactly where the tournament takes place. What we do know is that there are three starting days and that 114 players entered on day 1A, including David, our hero. 15 players will advance and cash in the tournament. So if you make day two, you will automatically be in the money and 15 advance, 30 remain. So we are past the close of registration for the day. Blinds are 1,000, 2,000 with a 2,000 big blind ante. And Hero is dealt the nine of spades, nine of hearts under the gun. What to do with pocket nines under the gun and we have a stack of 48,000. So first of all, let's do the math. That is 24 big blinds or an M of just under 10. So 50K would be an M of 10. So if you have 24 big blinds under the gun with pocket nines, uh, you could actually make a case for going all in here. It might sound crazy to some of you, just open shove 24 big blinds, believe me. Doing so is plus EV, and it increases our stack by 10%, a little more than 10%, which is not a bad result for pocket nines. Uh, I mean, if no one calls, we increase our stack by 10%. If someone calls with pocket eights, we're probably going to increase our stack by a lot more than 10%, more like 100 and some percent. And if we get called by ace-king, there's about a 50-50 chance of the same outcome. So a lot of good things can happen if we shove here. I don't think that shoving with this hand under the gun is a bad thing to do. I hate having an M of around 10. It's a very tricky stack to play. And it's always hard to play these middle pairs, sevens, eights, nines anyway. So this hand is not going to be easy. And just like in the previous hand, being under the gun is just never a good time. So anyway, Hero decides to min-raise to 4,000, which of course is uh, a perfectly reasonable thing to do with a pair of nines. And uh, he gets called by the button with 57,000, so that player has us covered. And the big blind, who is one of the tournament chip leaders at this point here on day 1A of this $560 live tournament in a casino or card room somewhere on earth and he's got 150,000 that's a huge stack for the situation the 
Button is a new player who recently joined the table, so we don't have much of a read on him at this point. But the big blind, David writes, the big blind has been extremely active at this table and has won about eight of the last 10 pots. So no wonder he's got such a big stack, huh? So at this point, the pot is 10,000 and Hero has only 44,000 remaining in his stack. Now, this is another reason why I don't like making that little min raise. Now we've got an awkward SPR, right? We've got 4.4 times the pot. We've got pocket nines, and we're sandwiched between two bigger stacks. So this is not exactly an ideal setup for David in this situation, but the flop comes. Eight of hearts, tray of hearts, tray of diamonds. So... Hard to beat that flop when you have pocket nines. I mean, I suppose we could wish that a nine would show up on the flop, but that doesn't happen very often, guys. This is about as good as it gets for pocket nines. I'm loving this flop. I'm just not sure that I'll be able to get my whole stack in without being behind because that 4.4 SPR is a problem. Anyway, Big Blind makes it easy for us. He leads out for 6,000 and the action is on Hero holding the overpair nines. So question number one, do we think that the big blind who we mentioned has been extremely active at this table, do we think that he would lead out with a hand that is better than pocket nines? Do you really think he would like just flop trip threes and then just bet right into us? I mean, yeah, people do it, but it's pretty uncommon. And we could discount that a bit because this player has been so very active at this table. Uh, we do have a little bit of concern about the button yet to act behind us. But let's do a little bit more math. When this player puts in 6,000, there is then 16,000 in the middle. And Hero with only 44,000 behind I think it's time to start raising and trying to get more chips in the middle. I'm hoping that the big blind, the very extremely active player that we mentioned, has a hand like ace eight or you know any eight really, or possibly a flush draw. Remember there are two hearts on the eight three three flop. So certainly we are well ahead of the big blind's range. And if the button happens to have us beat I really don't know what he would ever have us beaten by. What if he just flatted with a hand like pocket tens? He's got us pipped, right? Well, if it goes bet and raise, is he going to be wanting to get all in with his pocket tens? I'm not so sure. And, you know, I guess we could be a little bit worried about him having a tray, but really, how many flats does he have against an under the gun razor when he's got a tray in his hand? Maybe ace three suited, I guess possibly but you know what it's poker guys we can't worry about everything and i know that players do tend to worry about everything a little bit more as they approach the bubble or the money bubble or you know here we are if we just can get through 15 more bust outs we're going to cash in this thing and make it to day two so that may have the potential to interfere with the players thinking in my case I would raise here, fade the possibility that we ran into something huge on the button or that this 
button, unknown player on the button flatted us with pocket aces and is trapping and slow playing, or that he magically flopped a three or has a three and flop trips. Of course, those things are possible, but I don't believe in worrying about every single thing, especially when we started the hand with an M of lower than 10. Like, we shouldn't be trying to make too many big folds in this situation. I would be thrilled that the loose aggressive player bet into me, and I can't wait to raise him and try to get all in against him. So I would make it something like 16,000. You know, don't have to raise too big. Just a little click here, and that should be enough to get the button to fold his pocket tens. Also, you can clean up some outs that he might have if he has uh, two live over cards with a hand like king-queen or something. You know, there's a decent amount of benefit to getting rid of hands like that behind us as well. So I like raising for both of those reasons, and I'm really hoping the button folds and the big blind shoves, at which point I would triumphantly call. And you know what? If you have a three and you played it this way, good for you, buddy. Anyway, that's not what happens in this case. Hero decides to just call the 6,000, at which point the button shoves for whatever's left of his 57,000. So I guess that's going to be 53,000 total. And then the big blind tanks and then folds. Now, I wouldn't read too much into the tank. You know, these loose, aggressive live players tend to pretend that they have a really tough decision many times when they don't just seeing a board of eight tray tray he let out with nothing a lot of the time and then just decides to fold but first he's going to make a a little show of it so that he thinks everybody's going to think well he must have really had something there look we watched you play so many hands you won eight of the last ten pots no one's really thinking that you had a tough decision here on eight tray tray after you donk led into the field so just throw your hand away foldfaster.com that's the website i'm going to start and make a billion dollars on anyway uh he does eventually decide to fold and now hero has a decision with pocket nines. Uh, Yeah, this button shove does kind of indicate a good amount of strength, but in my experience, guys, it's not usually going to be a tray. It might be an eight. It's more likely to be just a flush draw, really any flush draw. He could have queen jack of hearts, right? And he sees that it went bet call on the flop, and now's my chance to semi-bluff and take it down. And that's what you want to do when you flop a flush draw on the button in this situation. The first player's bet means very little. And Hero's call kind of indicates a medium strength hand. So we've kind of underrepped our hand. We actually have a strong hand for the situation. And therefore, we really need to call here. But I'm sorry to tell you guys, Hero folded and we're actually never going to know what the player on the button shoved with. I want to read a few comments from David, our hero in this hand. Clayton, thanks for all the hard work on the TPE podcast. You're welcome, David. I really enjoy listening. Well, you know what, David? I really enjoy doing this for you. About his decision at the end, David says, I found the fold, but I'm not sure what happened here. Ace, tray suited, hit trips. Two over cards with hearts, maybe. Maybe I should have raised the flop bet. Yeah, I really think that's where we put ourselves in the toughest of spots. 
I mean, if we raise the flop bet, it's a much easier call when the button shoves. But notice, guys, with an M of 10 flopping an over pair, even against two opponents, your boy Clayton here is not looking to fold the nines. I mean, if we had a much deeper stack, we can start talking about folding. But with a short to medium stack, I know that in most live tournaments, Hero in this hand is going to have a below average stack with his 24 big blinds. I'm not looking to flop an over pair and find the fold button. I'm looking to double up with what is very likely to be the best hand. So I think this fold is a little too nitty. I do like raising the flop for all the reasons I'm, I already mentioned. But if you play it this way, you're underrepping your nines. And I think you need to pull the trigger. And if he's got you, he's got you. Now, some of you are listening to this thinking, but Clayton, he might have the two over cards with the flush draw, in which case villain is about 50-50 to win this pot. And I don't want to flip a coin. My answer to that is, well, I do. I mean, we are 15 players away from the money, but when I get into the money, I want to have chips. I'm not looking to min cash. The min cash in this thing is probably going to end up being like $300 or something, right? Nowadays, it's a $560 buy-in. We see that they're paying almost 15% of the field, so let's not get too excited about cashing in this thing. I'd rather show up in the money with a whole lot of chips and then start making my run for the final table because we know that nowadays in tournament poker all the prizes worth winning are at the top and that'll do it for this episode and if you guys have a hand that you would like for me to review i would be very happy to do that for you just send that hand to me via twitter at clayton comic and once again if you guys are listening to this on apple podcasts or on Spotify, please do us a favor and give us that five-star review that helps more people find this podcast and helps us to continue bringing this free weekly content to your ears. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa